when you make a pivot i mean you don't let a good crisis uh, go away, a crisis go away so if if your business is obviously bad you will kill it if it's obviously good like everyone's happy what if it's somewhere in between right uh, that's when like you get into a lot of soul searching most of the industry believes value is in growth now that's just half the story value is also in options while growth is great growth at the cost of losing option and the control of your own business is just not worth it and that's the beauty of value saas it gives founders growth with optionality in this podcast you'll hear me talk to founders who pick the value saas approach to consciously design a growth path that they wanted whether it was a strategic exit going venture hyperscale or continuing to stay bootstrap Hi this is Tyagraj and co-founder and managing partner at Opeka Alisa's accelerator and this is your producer Malvika Tekta in today's podcast pipe candy's co-founder Ashwin talks about pivots positioning and why founders must focus on brand marketing from day one and for product founders in chennai listening to this Ashwin invites you to a catch up at the filter copy club on 24 december as he and other founding members reboot the club post covid Welcome to the Value Sash show. Today I have Ashwin Ramasamy. Ashwin is a good friend. Uh, he's the co-founder of Pipe Candy, which he recently sold to Assembly. Announced the acquisition in April this year. There are many ways to describe Pipe Candy. One of which uh, Ashwin says is that you know think of Pipe Candy as a Zoom info for e-commerce industry. The other ways uh, Ashwin will uh, get into as we speak. And uh, before he built and uh, sold Pipe Candy, he uh, co-founded Contract IQ, which was like Upwork for uh, mobile app development. Started in 2011. Again, sold it uh, four years later. Ashwin is also very passionate about Chennai startup. He has uh, played important role in development of the Chennai startup ecosystem, starting with uh, Meetup and community called as Filter Coffee Club, uh, which is one of the OGs in uh, startup communities. he started his uh, career in sales but later realized that he has a penchant for writing and uh, somewhere along the line the marketer in him got drifted so he's uh, rediscovering that now and uh, we will talk about that in a bit ashwin is also a proud dad of a teen uh, who's uh, done her own writing in a neutral interpretation of mahabharata ashwin right. welcome to the show lovely to be here that was an elaborate introduction so maybe we'll do justice as we go <laughs> Sounds good. So uh, let me dive in. I, I I've been uh, dying to ask this to you. Chennai is called as the SaaS capital of India, and there are a lot of Chennai startups that are uh, building SaaS by default. What is the one thing that uh, you've seen people misunderstand about building a SaaS startup, and especially startup coming from Chennai? Yeah. So let's talk about SaaS startups, right? So this is subscription is a beautiful business model because you get month on month predictable revenue. Why is that important, right? It's important because it aids free cash flow the way many other businesses don't right so since i have the benefit of also looking at the world of direct to consumer businesses e-commerce businesses and so on they are very capital intensive there is supply chain there is logistics there is storage and so on and so forth these are all cash guzzlers and inventory uh, forecasting is like sporadic at best so saas does not have those issues so it's a beautiful business model in and of itself which lends itself for very good cash flow management and so it gives many options to founders to build it the way they want so then the philosophical question of like whether to raise money or like bootstrap it and those things come up saas business both has like you know because of predictable revenue has good multiples and also gives you a way to build it your own way build it the value saas way so that's what i like about the saas model 
Coming to Chennai, we associate labels with cities like Bangalore being tech and Bombay being mercantile and so on. So Chennai has, I mean, I, I would speak for TN, Chennai being like the visible name there. It's a very industrious city and manufacturing technology has been around for a long time here, even before you know foreign investments was popular. Homegrown companies like TVS and Ashok Leyland and so on and so forth. And a very strong accounting mathematics type of background, like CMI, there are a bunch of like economics institutes here. So strong industry, strong academic uh, rigor, and some really good homegrown successes like in the SaaS business also that we know of. So if you're building a data science company, you can get talent fresh from college, which are really good in mathematics here. So those are things that are going for Chennai. Of course, there are also other labels like being a conservative city. I think that's a good thing. Don't spend for, I mean, no growth for growth's sake and so on and so forth. So that's how I would, if I have to drop some anchors around like why Chennai, these would be those. What are things that are misunderstood by the rest of the world, rest of the startup folks in Delhi and Bangalore about Chennai startups? See, I mean, the stereotypes are set for a reason, right? I mean, I, I would recall a conversation I had with one of the investors and I was explaining, I was giving the quarterly update and it was a good quarter and we had some good logos, we had some good growth, but it wasn't what we anticipated it would be. It was good nonetheless. And I was explaining this in a very apologetic tone. And he interrupted me and said, like, why are you being apologetic about doing well in a quarter? Right? <laughs> if this were like a Delhi entrepreneur, they would just have a party for like the quarter done well. Right? Why are you being apologetic about it? And then it struck me how ingrained it is for us to actually underplay. Right. And it's true. We are conservative and that label is there for a reason. It works well in some cases, like, you know, financial prudence and so on and so forth. It doesn't work well when you're telling a story. So one broad brush does not do justice. There are some traits to a city, traits to entrepreneurs coming from a city. In some situations, it's a plus. Some situations, it's a minus. But I think we have done a reasonably good job as Chennai founders to uh, towards marketing ourselves. Like, you know, we have, we have taken SaaS capital moniker. Like, hey, that's a win. You guys didn't realize it, right? <laughs> so we're getting there. Fair enough. Uh, one other thing that I specifically wanted to ask you, Ashwin, is, is that uh, there is a stereotyping of uh, Chennai and SaaS in some sense that this is all about SMB because there has been a lot of success around building SMB related products. But you specifically, and I remember you being you know, one of the first in saying, no, I'm going to go focus on a closing and interacting with the enterprises. And we remember that five ways of building 100 million SaaS posts from Christopher Yans, right? Most of them focusing on rats and rabbits. Right. You taking uh, an explicit choice of, no, I'm going to go hunt elephant. Talk to me a little bit more about that. As in, why did you make that choice? Yeah, I think uh, we are conditioned by our experiences, right? So I started with SMB sales. My first job was like SMB selling shopping carts to e-commerce companies back in 2003 to 2006. SMB is fun, but... The sales motion needs a lot of resources, people, and so on and so forth. And then I moved to enterprise selling, typically like $1 million to like $10, 25000000 million type of deals. And it does take time, but uh, the customers don't go away. And like if you have a truly unique product, then the success rate is predictable. So for all of those reasons, it made sense to start focusing on enterprise and not be overwhelmed by it. It's just familiarity. I was very familiar with enterprise selling as a sales guy personally. Ashwin, uh, if I may interrupt, when did you make the shift from SMB to enterprise? My first job involved like selling to SMB. The second job was with the Satyam and I was selling ERP, CRM technology to automotive companies in the US and then like selling technology to sovereign wealth funds. Hmm. So you are familiar with numbers. So sales guys are like slaves to the numbers they are used to. 
right? Absolutely. The hundred thousand, five hundred thousand, million dollars kind of numbers didn't scare me because those are very familiar numbers, right? <laughs> That's kind of how I got to start with enterprise. And that shift and that experience of going and uh, closing enterprise deals, I, I, I found it interesting that you use this word saying that those type of numbers did not scare me. So going after those type of accounts, you had that experience, you made that shift and that gave you the confidence right. to go right. after. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. In many ways, like SaaS is like kind of reinventing or like old wine and new bottle type of thing, right? ABM, for example. Right. Enterprise tech companies have been doing it for a long time, right? Wining and dining and bringing people on to a stage. IBM does a really good job of it, right? So bring the five CAOs, they want to convert and like, you know, put them on the stage and like talk highly about them and like get them on a panel and like wine and dine and get them to a box seat for a game. So this is ABM, right? Yes. And and like then specific pitches to them. So all this playbook has been there in other industries, like defense is one such industry which does that really well. So it was easy to kind of demystify and not be scared about these three-letter acronyms, which we create like every often. So you started uh, Pipe Candy in 2016, right? And initially you started it out as a outbound email company and then uh, raised a little bit of money. Then uh, I remember you mentioning that you ran into this small data problem, not big data, but a small data problem. And then after you had raised money, you ran into this problem and then you realized that, you know, your initial story or pitch the way you had envisioned it, it may not work. And then you had to make some choices. Uh, talk us through right. that. Right. So our original idea was an intelligent outbound email marketing tool for like you know, sales teams. So essentially, we would look at the responses that are coming for outbound emails, understand like which personas, which segments respond better for what kind of messages and continuously suggest the teams on like, you know, whom to target and what messages to deliver. The assumption was that data about target customers would be clean and teams would be able to scale email campaigns like effortlessly and we would get critical mass of responses. The data about target customers was not clean and the data was not specific. It was very generic. Email IDs are not specific data points. The data was mostly industry agnostic and fairly flat. So response rates were actually poor. And so if you have thousand emails going and you get like five responses, how much data science can you run on that? All right. That was the problem. We still thought companies have good stories to tell and it would resonate with certain specific types of customers. We simply looked at it and said, like, let's cut out email as a medium. Let's still like help companies tell good stories. So that's when we decided we would build a industry-specific data set that gives a lot of context to sales teams when they pitch their stories. That's how the transition from outbound email campaign software to data business happened. Right. So, but this was like a pivot, right? So what did it mean in terms of your runway, in terms of like, you know, how your team coming along with you for the first vision versus changing? How did this pivot play out for you? So it wasn't easy. See, uh, the outbound email tool was not a failure. I think it was an unforced error like on our part. If I had to go back and do things again, I would have like kind of stuck to it, right? So what happened was like we had run into some trouble with Gmail, like cutting our access. I mean, not just our access, like several companies' access. And we thought like we would be beholden to like, you know, Gmail's whims and fancies. And so we it's a long-term risk for the business. And it wasn't. It was a transient thing. We should have like 
you know, not done any big calls based on that. We did. And right out of the gate, like we had phenomenal success with that business. Like in about four months, like we were about close to $30,000 MRR and we could have continued growing it and like built some substantial like outbound email marketing business, but we didn't. One of the problems that like we faced was like, because we thought we will build the industry data, contact data will come from partners. Even that was messy. So we had to build a contact data business ground up. It was like building an industry data business. It was building a contact data business. And we had a practically over like a weekend and like a couple of days, we built a 32 member team in Tunnel Valley for like contact data building. And every new customer we added, like we were worried because, oh shit, like, you know, some more contact data. So do we add some more people? And uh, it felt like a services business and like we were massively adding people very quickly. And we were thinking like we'll build like industry data. Now we are building contact data, getting into a commodity business. And then we said like, no, let's put a full stop to it. No contact data, no e-commerce, no like, you know, outbound tool. Let's just build data for e-commerce. And so we had to let go 32 people at one go and the engineering team that was building the outbound thing also. But the market was in a good shape. The folks in Tunnel Valley team came and said, like, you know, if you support us enough, like, we'll run this business ourselves. We spun it out and they still run that business successfully. So that was taken care of. We still continue to be their largest customer. And the engineering team got placed in other Chennai SaaS companies. So it was a difficult one, two months period, but like a happy ending after that. And we had about 10 months runway. So it wasn't like we were running out of money. So it gave us time to, and e-commerce data was not there at all. So when we said, like, we have e-commerce data, People started buying it like immediately. We had to change the TG target customer base. Since the data was not there, there was an immediate uptake for it. So it's not like there was a period of trough and like we had to figure out and disillusionment. That that didn't happen. So you had like a wide range of audience through outbound that you were targeting, but then within that you had the e-commerce niche that was looking for data and then you just had to sort of focus your attention towards them. Right, right. So with this pivot and when you change, from then on, how long did it take to get to your first million in revenue? Two years, actually. The first product, we were on our path to getting to a million dollars in about six months. But with this, like about a year and a half. So we started in like second quarter of like 2016 is when we launched. And then around like February of 2017 is when we said like, you know, only e-commerce. And somewhere around mid of 2018 is when like we hit the million dollars. Usually at the million dollar mark, it is a, a point of like, you know, multiple choices forward from here. So after you hit a million dollar, what were the choices? How are we thinking about growing the business further? See, the quality of revenue is important. Like it's not a million dollars. It's like how the million dollar million. Yeah. Right. So when you make a pivot, you don't let a good crisis go, a crisis go with, right? So uh, we, we weren't like bold enough is what I would reflect back and think about this. Yes, like, you know, we had a start in like outbound email marketing and we built like prospect data for outbound email marketing and e-commerce, right? Had we spent some more time, we would have picked up a higher value use case than like prospecting data. So building e-commerce data from public sources, estimation of revenue and for millions of companies is a non-trivial task, both in terms of data operations as well as data science. We did all that. And then we are selling for like a dollar a piece. So it's like building a Ferrari. And then you say like, I would like keep it in the parking lot. <laughs> Love that analogy. But then like that was bringing in revenue. So like you have like innovators dilemma. You already have done one pivot and it's working. So we've always had this conversation. If your business is obviously bad, you will kill it. If it's obviously good, like everyone's happy. What if it's somewhere in between? That's when like you get into a lot of soul searching. We never stopped looking at other options. 
we wrote like some really good blog posts about e-commerce market size. People started asking for like source data and some research. And we figured we could monetize the research. We figured we could monetize our API. We started looking at other revenue streams. We knew those revenue streams were actually like much more profitable and like you know, upfront revenue, limited chances of churn and so on. But we didn't know how to, more than saying we didn't know how to scale, we lost the plot in terms of marketing. That's when the intervention happened like later on, like with SaaS Boomi and so on. And we figured out like positioning, we figured out pricing. That's when we took off. I remember in 2018, you mentioned that you had considered raising funding. Again, in 2020, you had considered raising funding. Would you say that, you know, since you weren't clear about like, you know, which way to take this and uh, like run really fast, is this where you chose not to raise funding or like, you know, what were some of the thoughts that were going on in your mind? So we knew we were building something valuable and at scale and some of the logos that we had justified or like validated that fact back to us. So we knew we were onto something, but even people who were in the e-commerce world uh, discouraged that if I know all about 2000 e-commerce companies, how do I care about the remaining? Why are you caring about the million e-commerce companies? They are coming in and out of business, like 30% of them go out of the business every year. But e-commerce was still 10% or 8%, 9% at that point in time of like total retail. So there's only one way and that's... So we knew if we put our heads down and continue building it, we will build something valuable. It's only a question of like when the market would turn. And because we were also discovering other use cases and there are so many adjacent products to build, I was of the opinion that we should fundraise. And my co-founders were of the opinion that we should not because, hey, like, you know, it's okay. You can tell a story and raise the Series A also. But like, are you sure that like you would return, if you raise $5 million, would you return $50 million? Right? Are you sure about that? Everything looked like a risky bet. It was not like a scale money that we were raising. It was still an experimental money masquerading as Series A, right? So I turned around and saw that point of view. And so we all decided like we will not raise money and revenue was supporting the company anyway. And this would give us the optionality. So the idea was we'll continue building. Let's revisit this in like 18 months and see like if we are ready. That's how we looked at it. Ajahn, I've seen you do uh, sessions for other founders, share what you have learned so that others can learn from that mistake. And I remember seeing your website in 2016. I went back to that website and it said, uh, the new outbound sales is intelligence and smart. That was the first uh, H1 in the website. Mm-hmm. Then in 2018 in Chennai, when you did a session, predict the next moves of e-commerce and B2C company, that was the next one. I think that's where the pivot happened, right? But in right. Uh, 2021, when you did uh, a session up until recent, I think even now on the website, it says, you know, something to the effect of encyclopedia for uh, D2C and e-commerce company. Right. And these are all small changes. I and mean, it looks like, you know, just adjustment in words. But these small changes are uh, very, very impactful, very powerful. I want you to talk through a little bit about that. And uh, I want you to sort of also talk about product marketing in that context. Because that's a word yeah. that, you know, so, many founders uh, get uh, completely bowled over. They are like, I don't know what this is. So if you can shed some light on that. Yeah, yeah. So these changes, especially the last change that we made was truly that like moon landing moment for us, right? You know, one small step for man and one giant step for mankind. It was that kind of a monumental change for us, right? So if we don't tell the stories for ourselves or like we don't tell our stories, the customers will assume a story about us and that assumption may not be ideal for us. Right. I mean, when I was studying, I was a very, very ardent student of marketing and I really loved that topic. But then like over a period of time, like when sales does things to you (laughs) and and I lost in touch with what I really liked. 
And that is like copy content, like advertising and those kinds of things. The true branding. And I think one bad advice that a lot of SaaS founders have invived is brand marketing is for like late stage. <laughs> Not really, right? So you need to think about your brand like that. It's a big advantage if you start thinking about your brand from day one. So let's talk about positioning a little bit, right? So positioning is what customers think about you in relation to your competitors. In relation to your competitors is the operating word. So there are a few blocks in their head and they are giving you one block. They're giving other blocks to others. And you need to deliberately nudge the user to or the customer to give the block that you want. Otherwise, they'll slot you somewhere. We are a lead generation company, right? That was the block that was given to us because that's what like uh, lead list and blah, like you would find on our website. That's a very low value use case. That's we what your the, first H1 spoke about. Yeah. Even after the Predator Next Moves, the H1 was trying to do some heavy lifting, whereas the rest of the website was just talking about leads. So here you are like selling to large consulting firms, strategy consulting firms, like hundreds of thousands of dollars and so on. And APA solutions starting at $25,000, but like none of that was on the website and high value customers and use cases but like poorly positioned, like we were doing a disservice to ourselves, right? And we weren't even packaging them as products. So if I were to get to the nuts and bolts of like what founders need to do, SaaS founders need to do is really find out why people are buying what they are buying from you in terms of pains and aspirations and so on. And tell a really good story. I mean, hire a really good storyteller. I mean, I don't know if that tribe exists in India except for like a couple of people. Tell a really good story and the story will then like position you in the minds of the customer. So in our case, the story we've told several times, we overnight changed our single product to multi-product company. We gave names for our products, even though they were all the same product. So it's a bunch of dominoes. Like the, the copy has to look world-class. The pricing has to align with the values. Uh, the product, the pricing plans have to be named in such a way that customers sell select them to the right plans. It's not like gold, silver, copper, whatever. It's not like the starter premium. It's like online plan, tech plan, commerce plan, and so on. So we set out a bunch of these dominoes, color schemes we use, like the lines we draw, which looks like balance sheets, the font we use for text versus like, you know, numbers. So if you want to be treated like a million dollar, you need to look like a million dollar. Our aesthetics are not like world-class in India, right? We've got it right in, in several cases. It is not like, you know, as bad as it used to be in the early 2000s or, or 2010s even. But we don't benchmark ourselves against Apple in terms of copy or website and so on and so forth. We devolve to the lowest possible denominator. Like, hey, illustrations are easy. I'll buy some illustrations and stick it here. And every website has illustrations. And all of those SaaS companies look the same. So these are things that are worth spending time on. And we are the only data company out there which puts pricing plan on the website. And that was a deliberate choice because we are pricing high. And we wanted the market to know that we are priced high. And hence, enterprise would know that they are priced high. They are for me. So the positioning literally opened the enterprise pipeline for us. And that's a self-selection that you deliberately do. That's one of the parts of the enterprise motions that founders need to do. It's not only about like going and attending conferences and so on and so forth. Like you need to look bigger than you are and enterprises should believe that like you are big. So this is not the usual product marketing conversation that we, that like you would have expected, but brand marketing to me precedes product marketing. And by brand marketing, you mean like, you know, telling a good origin story or value story. Yeah. Positioning and like how the look and feel, how the sales enablement is all very cohesive in terms of the documents that you put together. How does your sales team present your story? Not just you, the founder, but the sales team. What does the presentation look like? What does the demo experience look like? So these are things that like you need to be very, very cohesive about and deliberate about. 
how did the acquisition conversation happen is there any correlation between your changes in positioning that has happened and then led to or is it like you know broader function of what's happening in the market or did you do anything specifically for precipitating such conversations we always had a list of companies that could be potential partners acquirers from day one and i had an excel sheet of about 163 companies or something i see a company i read about it i'll think an angle and i'll put it out there so it's like you're not available for sale you're always available for a sale for a price but ironically assembly was not on that list and it points to how much ever diligently you do these things like you have someone like who has an angle that you not thought about in fact i have never told this i actually wanted to thank you guys because the magic box paradigm, paradigm book, book oh that is worth its weight in gold i have like yellow highlights in every page of the book so coming back to how this happened honestly we don't know how they found us like one of the things that like i hear is like a customer of ours like moved to assembly and they recommended us and uh, i also heard in other conversations that like they found us through our content so we don't know exactly how the source happened uh, what the source was but like it was an inbound reach out for like partnership and eventually like leading to this discussion and through the conversation what we realized even in customer conversations even in this conversations when when people on the other side play the exact words that you wanted the positioning to do for you you know you've done your positioning right if they use the words in the conversation and they have a vision for those products through the acquisition you know that your website has done it and anything that you put out have they all have done a good job of hitting the right spots right so when an acquirer acquires you i mean again borrowing from the magic box paradigm book and they have like a mountain to climb and like they need this magic box and like they have a vision for like what you are going to be as a part of them and the starting point for that is for them to understand who you are and what your vision is so that is coming from like your copies and like your enablement and and those kinds of things i think that quickly helped them understand where we are and where we want to be and that made the conversation a lot more easy got it so that's how discovery happened then how long did that conversation or that relationship building took and when did you guys finally pull the trigger on okay let's uh, let's join forces two months from december to february what are some of the memorable experiences and painful experiences out of that entire journey it's a separate podcast episode <laughs> <laughs> we will record that <laughs> only about that but uh, see like finally you're working with people and you need to enjoy working with the people that you're going to work with so i enjoyed every conversation for it, it took about like 11 months for us to close the deal there was not a single conversation like we felt drained out and it was very energetic and like, we we were well aligned so that was the best part everything else was the worst part so usually what will happen is in in acquisitions there will be a sponsor and they will be different from the executive here the executives were involved so it was good and there would be miscommunications there would be issues related to negotiation and so on and so forth all of that like worked out pretty okay for us at least principle to principle the india us structure the accounting legal issues because of that the biggest nightmare process. for any indian founder uh, and we had a cap table of 35 40 people like thanks to what we thought was a syndicate but like you know individuals sitting on a cap table all of that like became a big drain you know what we could have accomplished in 5 months like took us almost 11 months that was the nightmare got it we'll switch to another part of this type conversation we will record a separate mna related one i remember once you telling me that uh, there's something about the air in chennai that turns every b2c founder in chennai to <laughs> b2b founder and that's why we don't see a lot of b2c founders coming out of chennai why do you think that is the case so a lot of brand building advertising the advertising world had a lot of like 
you know, initially in India had a Parsi influence and then like had a lot of, you know, upper uh, middle class or like, you know, those kinds of people, like the Bombay crowd, like that influence. So brand building, storytelling was all happening in Delhi and Bombay kind of places. And solving like, you know, computational problems or like engineering problems happened like this side. That right. So it lent itself well to B2B. That's kind of why I think that happened. But I do see a bunch of D2C founders, especially from places like Coimbatore. They are used to building for others as OEMs, suppliers to OEMs. And now they are like, you know, coming up and building it themselves. It calls for a lot of cost and marketing effort and money was available freely, at least for some point in time. Marketing is still a hump that people have to climb over. That's why probably like more B2B than B2C. You're very active in uh, shaping the startup ecosystem. I mean, since in 2010, I remember many people talking about like uh, Bar Camp and Open Coffee Club, but Filter Coffee Club was <laughs> even uh, started before that, right? So No, no, uh, actually not. So open coffee is when like, you know, a bunch of us men, right? Oh, like, open coffee uh, started first and then filled it. Yeah. So Vijayanand's office and Dorei Todla, like, you know, Suresh and Krish and I and like, a bunch of us, like that was a regular hangout for us. Like open coffee was pretty successful, but beyond a point, like it made sense. It was kind of like meetup for entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs, not so much as product builders. So we needed a space for product builders. That's why we started Filter Copy. This was actually Vivek Durai of like back then contracts.io and then Krish and then Sharan of Indie TV and I. So we fought and decided like this was something we need. And we started and we did a half a day event and that's how we kickstarted it. Now it's eight years. Uh, at the beginning of 2021, it was six years. For those six years, pretty much every month we met Rain or Shine. And... Uh, uh, no lurking and you have to come otherwise like we'll take you off the whatsapp group those kinds of things were there it was a lot about building first name familiarity and like sharing things without feeling vulnerable and like, you know walking into someone's office without appointment and getting help it accomplished all of those a lot of us are really good friends like we meet with families we go on road trips like impromptu and help each other with like you know acquisition advice or like fundraising advice people so it ticked all the boxes because it was a very close-knit community meant to only foster friendships. And COVID kind of like knocked it. Also because like each of us like are were at like different stages of our journeys. And it didn't have a common like you know recurring theme to to meet and discuss. But I mean the friendships were already very strong that like we could anyway like we could the phone and talk and go and meet and so on. Right. Now uh, this is like a call out for everyone in Chennai. On 24th of December, I'm kind of like putting together like a lunch meetup for all product founders in Chennai, essentially rebooting filter copy again, because there are a lot of new startups in Chennai, thanks to Freshworks IPO and a lot of learning because operators are now becoming SaaS founders, like with operational experience in SaaS for the first time in Chennai. There's a lot of shared learning and acceleration that is possible. So wanted to make that happen. So what has happened uh, or changed in the last 10 or 12 years that you have been part of the startup ecosystem? What has become easy to do? What is still very hard to do as a startup? Right. The most fascinating thing is none of us knew what it was to build a product company. A lot of them knew how to build products from an engineering standpoint, but like building products as the finished product to taking to the market, marketing sales, all of that was like, you know, difficult for that many. The most humbling thing is like people were very forthcoming to teach what they learned the previous week. They weren't waiting to become like you know, good at it. 
they learned something the previous week and they would come and talk about it the next week i remember the ice bread rts round tables like in uh, suresh's office i used to volunteer for like some of those rts organizing them and so on people would come and like share and i think like when when grish was sharing like you know about his experiences like they were like 2 3 million dollars era and like when suresh was sharing about like what he learned in his flow it was it was a big pivot from orenscape and it was probably about a million million and a half right so uh, but like there was a lot of learning in those sessions so that continues to be the case and people are willing to teach willing to uh, share without like looking at what's in it for me right so that culture has been preserved in many ways we have exported that via saas bhumi across india and it's a phenomenally good forum you guys are doing it with like value saas for through peka so it's good what has not changed is and a company building is hard and as new set of people come and start companies they have the same problems that like you know others had like previously and they have to go through their own journeys to figure it out access is available but people need to be forthcoming to take that and learn and so on and so forth the opportunities are available but the challenges are pretty much the same and there are like also scale challenges now so who is out here who has taken a company from 50 million dollars to 100 million dollars who are those people like who can help us like talk about it go talk about it not really so many people right those challenges we have not just in chennai but in the broader ecosystem as well i think that's the evolution of the ecosystem there is an ecosystem where which is willing to share more and uh, like make newer mistakes so that way you know in terms of pace of growth and newer things to do that is there i also noticed you say that earlier it was about building products but it is about now product business uh, we've all often had this conversation saying building a product is different from building a product business right and there is a lot more maturity in building product businesses but the part that you said is is very difficult still is is the company building no matter how many times you have done this before when you are coming and thinking about this as a company and a business the next time that you do it it doesn't become any easier right? Uh, right so that's what you're saying and there's whole vertical saas honey pot in the horizon and a bunch of us have built like vertical saas companies like you know uh, myself there is ashwini there are a few others like who have built like vertical saas companies so there needs to be a way to take all that knowledge and share with the people because the the saas motions that apply for horizontal saas and like smb does not apply for vertical saas and enterprise right so some new things new learnings like new forums need to be in place in the last 10 year what is one uh, mental model that you think you have changed or what is something that you have changed your point of view on related to startup building or anything in saas very very difficult question to <laughs> answer so i would think like slow is better slow and deliberate is better than fast growth fast and without control <laughs> yeah slow so, and deliberate is better than fast and without control yeah so you know not just in terms of like you know what you want to do for like your company and what outcomes you want to get but like when you are deliberate about solving a problem you can be true to the problem only when you apply yourself to the problem in the true sense of that word so i mean unfortunately we have started seeing like customers as a way to a means which the means is like an ipo or means is like an outcome uh, and so on solving problem for problem's own sake and making money as a byproduct of it is something that i've been thinking for a long time so why do you have revenue goals i mean it's probably a privilege of like having an exit but like you know once you have that privilege that's how the ecosystem grows right once you have those kinds of privileges you can take start taking long term views about like what you want to build if i if one thing that has changed definitely for me is like solving a problem truly comprehensively and not worry about interim milestones uh, yeah you said it was a difficult question but you know it's a fantastic deeply thought through answer is there a question ashwin that i should have asked but i did not ask you 
and your journey on choices that you made on how some of the choices that you made are very unconventional and how you're thinking about like you know your future choices are also very unconventional right so i'm not sure so i don't have like a profound thing to share but what i would say is the big side product or side benefit of like being a founder is the kind of community that you get to self select yourself to there are really like phenomenal founders like say ashmani krish some of these akari these are people i have like good fortune of like talking to almost on a daily basis right it shapes your view of like how things have to be done how you need to approach employees how you need to approach life in general and so on and so forth it creates a lot of like humility in you and rootedness in you and so on on the other hand there is also like a treadmill like they have run the company for 5 years and exited like and it's been 10 years in my journey what am i doing or like they have bought a mansion in like valley like you know what am i doing and so on so you can pick your heroes you can pick your role models so i mean if you are a founder in our early days like my recommendation is to pick your cohort like really well because that will make a big difference in like your inner peace awesome with that uh, ashwin will uh, wrap up this conversation thank you so much for uh, being very candid about all the things that you've done and uh, i'm sure this will help many of the first time saas founders that are listening to this now, always thank pleasure you. talking to pick up folks uh, this is one more such if you love the podcast subscribe to us for more insights on building and scaling capital efficiently we'll catch you with the next episode on the other side of 2022 till then wish you happy holidays and a very happy new year Thank you.